0: This week on the stack, we speak with Jessica Johnson, editor in chief of The Walrus, one of the most renowned magazines in Canada. We also go viral with Buffalo Zine, and our Lisbon correspondent, Gaia Lutz, speaks to the editor of a tea publication based in the city. Enjoy the show. From Midori House in London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Coming up on the show, we enjoy a cup of tea with the editor of 80 Degrees, a publication that is all about tea drinking. Also, I speak with the team behind the incredible fun Buffalo Zine. Every issue is a surprise. But first in the show, we start with one of the most prized and respected Canadian magazines, the Walrus. Well known for its great long-form journalism, the title is edited by Jessica Johnson. Besides telling me about some of her favorite stories from the title, she also updates me on what we can expect from the recently released July-August edition. Here is Jessica with more.
1: The Walrus was founded in 2003. It was really intended to be a Canadian version or a counterpart to Harper's. American long-form magazines like the New Yorker and the Atlantic and as Canada has grown and as the walrus has grown it's gained an identity of its own and I also think the rest of the world is more interested in Canada now than it was 15 or 20 years ago so one thing we saw even after you know Trump was elected in the United States was more Google searches for Canadian content and um and that's been really interesting to see so No, it's um, the main long-form general interest magazine in Canada and covers a range of subjects like science, politics, the arts.
2: And I love, you know, the Canadian take on subjects. I was reading the June issue here and it was quite interesting to know the the relationship between Canadians and the monarchy because... That's something I didn't know much, even though living in the UK, but, uh, you know, there's still quite, quite a few issues there going on. Uh, and, and even you wrote about it in your editor's letter as well.
1: Yeah, that's, it's always been a question. Like Canadians have, uh, well, first of all, a very varied relationship with the monarchy, which maybe is the same in the UK. There's some, and it's sort of regional, there's there's parts of Canada where people are avowed monarchists and, and really feel a tie to the UK. And in in many other parts of the country people really feel that we've outgrown that relationship as a colony and so it's kind of an ongoing conversation that recently just heated up because of um you know canadians feel a bit of pride about Meghan markle too because she lived in toronto and was often seen around around town so there's a whole conversation happening right now that's just that's just really interesting
2: and talking about the new issue which i believe just came out the july august uh, edition what can you tell us, I mean, in terms of the highlights or even the cover story as well?
1: Yeah, the one we've just produced, um, we have one annual summer reading issue. The Walrus usually comes out 10 times a year in print. Uh, In the pandemic, we dropped down a little bit to a couple more double issues. But so the summer reading issue was usually the one that people took on vacation. And, you know, The Walrus is the kind of magazine that sells in, in airports and train stations and it's been a bit of a challenge to think okay well when people are in lockdown in lots of the country what does that mean for their needs you know but we did a bunch of fiction poetry memoir writers are writing about the pandemic but they're also really being escapist i think so in that one there's a story on on norman jewison who's a famous film director who made moonstruck which has been a really popular film in the pandemic so there's a a writer named Ira Wells who went and interviewed some of the old cast and characters. And there's a nice quote from Olympia Dukakis on share. On and uh, Olympia Dukakis passed away while we were making the issue. So it's a bit of like nostalgia and uh, and, and cultural conversation right now. And uh,
2: Jessica, in terms of, of the business model, I mean, you've mentioned that the war is sold in airports or train stations. Uh, what about when it comes to subscriptions? Was perhaps during COVID, Was there a move a little bit to subscriptions or not?
1: We have not seen that, although I think it's something we could probably engineer. Uh, I'm really interested to see what magazines have done well out of the pandemic. What we saw, because we're a nonprofit, there was a considerable increase in donations in the pandemic. So the funding is fine, but the digital has grown hugely. For the first part of this year, it's up more than 30% of all time. So more and more people are reading us online. The print has dropped, which is expected again, because you're not getting people finding it in their, they're at home. Um, so we'll, we'll think about how to manage that next year. We're still sort of dealing with the pandemic right now.
2: Oh, absolutely, as, as we all are in, in one way or another. Uh, and Jessica, what has been your uh, kind of relationship with the wars? I mean, how long have you been uh, working there, for example?
1: I have been editor for three years. I've worked at the magazine for four. And before that, I was a writer or contributor. But I feel that I'm part of the new era. The, uh, you know, the, the media climate has changed so much in the last five years, little in the last 10 or 15. So since the Walrus was founded, it started being, you know, I don't want to say highbrow, but like highbrow, like it was it was for intellectuals. And it was wasn't ashamed about that uh, sorry this can be a long story but anyway we registered for a charitable nonprofit status in uh, the mid-2000s and that slowly has evolved the type of journalism that we do so the stuff that we're working on now is fact-based everything's fact-checked it has everything has an educational component even when we're writing about Celine Dion there's something you learn about like a relationship with celebrity or you know canadianness out of out of that experience so i've been here i would say for what i would call the taming of the digital era which is the last few years we've seen huge growth but in a world when the internet has so much available to people we really had to figure out what was our identity and what was our value
2: well and i think magazines like yours uh, i i think there's there's a bright feature because i think i do generally think people are looking for kind of long-form pieces, especially when it comes to print products like uh, the Wars*, in a way?
1: There's a, a value in long-form that's a bit counterintuitive, and that, again, is what, um, look, I've, I've worked for a lot of different types of media outlets, and one of the first assumptions you make now is that shorter is better, more frequent is better, but when you look at our algorithms and what people are actually reading and what they're spending time on page, we find that the better written a story is, and for us that often means the longer a story is, the more committed the readership is. So it's counterintuitive, but our long form really does well. Investigative journalism, essays, really well written. Seems like people have a real hunger just for whatever is interesting now, because we can all find, you know, we're all on TikTok. You can find the fun little bit, but can you find that really good long read you didn't know you needed? And I think that's what we provide.
0: There was Jessica Johnson there from the Walrus. And the July-August issue is out now. And you now it's a known fact that here in the UK we love our tea and tea drinking has become a part of a day-to-day life. But some might say they we're only scratching the surface of a very rich and fascinating culture. At least that's what Martin Borachik, founder and editor of 80 Degrees magazine, a print publication that is all about tea, is saying. Now in its sixth edition, 80 Degrees delves into the world of tea, its history, the different cultures that embrace the drink, the producers behind the herb, and even the ceramics you use when drinking it, in absorbing narrative tales from around the world. Our Lisbon correspondent Gaia Lutz met up with Martin over a cuppa to find out more.
3: Martin, before we delve into um, your magazine, 80 Degrees, can I just ask you, what kind of tea are we drinking?
4: we're drinking a black tea from nepal from the himalayas
3: very very interesting and the reason we're drinking tea and the reason i'm asking you this obviously is because you've launched a couple of years ago a magazine all about tea can you tell me a little bit about that journey and and why you decided to launch this magazine about tea
4: yes So three years ago i moved from london to lisbon to portugal and you know it was a perfect opportunity for me to see if i wanted to continue in my career in advertising or try something different um, something perhaps more creative and at the time you know tea was my passion but it was really just very you know a low-key passion for me but i also like magazines and at the time i noticed that there was a, this new wave of um, print publications, you know, made very high quality paper with great illustrations and photos and I couldn't find one about tea. So I thought why not try and four months later issue one was ready.
3: And tell me, and I know it's a, pretty much a one-man show, this magazine, how do you get all these, these people and access to these, to these freelancers from everywhere in the world to, to write about tea? Did you find the interest w- was, was very big with tea, with these people wanting to write these stories?
4: Yes, the tea community is very open and very inclusive and people who like tea like to talk about tea. And there is you know, a lot of knowledge out, a lot of experience. So coming across people who have stories to share is not difficult uh, really, uh, whether it's interviews or people people write themselves. So from the beginning, this was not really an issue. The issue was to decide what should go in the magazine, how, how I wanted to position it and what kind of stories to tell. But uh, you know, however you decide, you, you can always find people who are willing to and happy to talk about tea.
3: But tell me a bit about that positioning, because it's obviously, this is not so, mm-hmm. for our listeners that are not seeing the magazine, 80 Degrees is not an industry magazine about tea. It's a very much a, a magazine that praises storytelling, illustration, beautiful photographs. It, they, every article really takes you on a journey to a different place. Tell me a little bit about what you wanted to achieve with this this new way of exploring tea culture.
4: Mm-hmm. Like you said, it's not really an industry magazine, it's not uh, full of numbers and uh, uh, theory uh, behind tea. It's, it's more of a lifestyle piece. So I, I wanted to make something beautiful that you can hold in your hands and you know slow down and read something on physical paper while you have your cup of tea because it really goes well together. And so that you're not online, that you're not distracted by notifications and all the digital mess that happens but also i wanted to tell stories that can take people on a journey that can show the story of tea through the lens of the people behind the behind tea and behind the rituals and so that people can go on a journey and experience these stories you know almost as if they were there but not quite at least through the through the pages of the magazine
3: so i have here issue 6 and you know i've been through the magazine and you know you take us on journeys to turkey to china in the ming dynasty if i'm if i'm not mistaken to all sorts of different places can you tell me a little bit about either in this issue or another issue one particular story that caught your attention that perhaps listeners will find surprising about the, the that connects back to tea
4: hmm. there is a particular one about japanese philosophy or craft if you want called kintsugi which means that you know, in the, in, in the West, comparing with the West because I'm a Westerner, if we break something like a cup or a bowl, we most often just discard it and throw it away. Whereas in Japan, there is this, this notion, this philosophy that if something breaks, it's not the end of the journey. They uh, prefer to pick up the pieces, glue them together, you know, add some varnish or some gold to showcase that the, the piece was broken. You know, they don't hide it. And now for them, the, the piece gains new meaning and a new lease of life. And it becomes that much more valuable because it has gone through something, but it's still here. And I find it fascinating. You know, it's not specifically about tea, but it's part of the very wide and rich culture of tea. And that's the beauty of the, of the topic is that it brings all these different philosophies and ideas and angles on life that all fit together perfectly through tea.
3: I mean, it fits so much that you thought you could launch a magazine and, and do several issues of it. And, and, and the angles are really, it's a list that can go on and on because, you know, it, it's fascinating how many countries drink tea. And you were just telling me uh, a little while back that it's actually the most consumed drink after water. But people don't really branch out of their specific tea habits. Mm. Tell me a bit about that and why do you think that is?
4: Yes it happens a lot each country has its own tea culture for instance in the UK you know it's it's hard to find someone who doesn't drink tea in the UK but everyone drinks the tea their tea in the same way in their you know english breakfast tea or builder's tea with milk or something like that and they always do that because their parents or their grandparents used to do it they don't think about it it's just a habit you know it, it feels good for them and that's great but it's just a matter of habit they don't really Understand the tea. They don't look behind the tea. They don't know what is on the other side, and that in some cases might be a shame because there is so much more to explore in tea. You know, no one will take your builders to away from you if you like it. But just be aware there is so much more to explore and so many different flavors and profiles that you can discover. So that's that's really fascinating. That um, there is so much potential.
3: And why me. do you think that is? That's that's fascinating because, you know, we give a lot of attention to wine and we give a lot of attention to all sorts of different beverages. Why has tea that has been around for so many years not been given this, this proper treatment that you're giving in 80 degrees?
4: <laughs> it's uh, tea has a marketing issue, really, because compared to other drinks, As you said it's been around for a very long time and everyone is familiar with it everyone has heard of tea everyone has probably drank tea in some way or another so the you know there is a lot of history that comes with it and as i said it's mostly coming down to people through their grandparents or their parents or some people drink tea because it's a health drink you know when you're ill when you have a cold you have a cup of tea and it makes you feel better but they don't really they don't have access to this to this information of what tea can represent and how much more there is to it so it's very difficult to rewrite this this narrative that you have in your head about tea with something much more that you know should be much more modern much more if you want to say hip that would bring younger audiences to it and would showcase the teen in the in a more modern light
3: So tell me a little bit about the audiences and the reception of the magazine, because now you're stocked in many, many countries. Were there any surprising countries that you found that you have lots of readers, that people are interested? Is there an age group? I don't know if you have access to this data that is more interested in tea. What were some of the the reception you've been getting from people?
4: So the magazine, fortunately, has been very popular since issue one. Loads of people, I know I received messages from many, many people saying this is exactly what I've been hoping for. And it wasn't around, but now there is, so they're very happy, obviously tea drinkers. There is a very strong audience in the UK, I guess, for obvious reasons. In America, which was surprising to me, there is a lot of, lot of uh, enthusiasm in America people who uh, love and you know specialize in drinking very specific very niche teas that you know I even hadn't heard of. So that's that's very nice. And also you know I'm based in Portugal and it's a very coffee focused country. The tea culture is very underdeveloped here but there is a lot of reader a lot, there are a lot of readers and a lot of enthusiasm for it. so that kind of tells me that hopefully you know the culture will also evolve to something more sophisticated and people will discover tea through the magazine.
3: Yes, because I have to warn readers, the reason we're doing this in your home is because we couldn't find a place with perhaps, you know, an appropriate menu of teas that we (laughs) could go to here in Lisbon. And just finally, can I ask you about your tea enthusiasm? How many times a day do you drink tea? Do you have an absolute favorite? You know, tell me a little bit about your consumption habits, because I mean you did a whole magazine about it. (laughs) That's
4: true. And I drink a lot of tea and I used to drink a lot of tea even before I started the magazine. For me, it's, it's, you know, in the morning you have black tea with breakfast, then you have something green, then you go to an oolong and, you know, you end the day on something different. Uh, I I have a lot of tea at home, Uh, obviously through travels because of the magazine. um, Before the pandemic, I managed to accumulate huge quantities of tea. Every time you travel to a country, you have to bring as as much of it as you can. And now I just have to make my way through all the the stock of it all uh, to not let it expire. So there is a lot of tea drunk every day for me.
0: (laughs) Thanks to Gaia and Martin. And I think I need a cup of tea now and I'll make it a lemongrass one. Finally, on the show, a title that I always love to revisit here on the stack, especially because every issue looks completely different from another. The latest one deals with the topic of going viral, perfect for the age we live in, from memes to influencers. It's a fun look at the whole thing, and don't even start me with the amazing covers. My favorite one is the one with Selling Sunsets, Christine Quinn. Here is Davi Uskisa and Andrea Lazarov from Buffalo Zine.
5: I don't know where the the idea came from exactly, but it's true that during the pandemic, it seems that adults are spending 50% of our waking lives, of our waking time on screen. And that's just like crazy. And the world of viral has so many fascinating ramifications. But I mean, it's changing the world, the way we, uh, it's changing our culture and in this issue, we kind of looked at maybe like the, mo- the most fun aspect of virals and how and, and how it uh, affects visual culture, how we perceive images, and how we create images of ourselves, and then how we share them and our canons of beauty, the culture we conceive, the fashion, what we buy, how we express our emotions, which is usually with memes these days. <laughs> Um, so there was a lot of interesting stuff there to explore.
2: And Andrea, I mean, tell us about the covers, of course, uh, they are all amazing, but I'm am obsessed about one particular one, uh, the Christine Queen one. But I mean, every single one of them is so kind of creative and quite funny. And and it doesn't take itself too seriously as well, which I love.
6: Yeah, I mean, going back to what David said, I think the covers explore The um, visual language of uh, virality so it can be some of the covers are are means in itself some of the covers kind of explore this idea of being everywhere and spreading which is probably the jay balvin one which he's a totally a viral icon and and he's just like you'll see his photos everywhere and i think the christian queen goes back to this one of these like central characters that you will find uh, in the internet which is like one of those influencers or viral celebrities so we we got in touch with her and and yeah she was eight months pregnant and happy to do the shoot and we were super excited because we we're big fans of her so yeah I think that's uh, we we needed to have like an iconic uh, celebrity uh, we needed to have an iconic influencer and then we needed to have you know a lot of like of the visual language that you would find in meme accounts or you know, even in these fashion meme accounts that we also love.
5: We even produced the cover as an NFT, which is our digital edition cover. Uh, the one of the, this person is sitting on a toilet and we, I think the, the correct term is minted. We minted it as, a, as an NFT. I think well Andy knows better, he's the NFT expert, but mm-hmm. I think it's the first magazine cover that has been uh, minted as an NFT in the in the world of art
6: it's uploaded in the with foundation uh which is uh one of these websites where you can mint nfts but mint foundation is pretty singular that you you have to be invited by another artist to have an account and then upload uh so we had a friend artist who invited us and we minted yeah the first i think it's the first magazine cover minted as an nft and it's
2: Listen, I would love to find out more about, uh, about that, but that's so cool. You're, you guys are always ahead of the game as well. I mean, what can I say? And one interesting thing, you mentioned J Balvin there. I mean, Christine Queen, of course, you know, quite a lot of big names from pop culture. But how do those people react? Because, of course, your coverage of them is quite different from the traditional, you know, fashion magazine, you know, like Vogue or GQ or something like that. I mean, do they take it on board? I mean, your ideas, I mean, because it's quite something a bit more creative, perhaps.
6: Yeah, I mean, in the case of Jay Balvin, I think it was just a, a, We normally try to approach these type of features as conversations, which I think they 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 tend to be a bit more interesting. So we try to kind of pair up different people that could have something interesting to say together. Uh, sometimes from the same field, sometimes from different fields. In the case, this was Jay Baldwin with Elgincho. With Elgincho is also um, award winning a uh, musical producer. He produced Rosalia's and Malquerer. He's doing FAK Twig's album. He's worked on a ton of stuff. He's super talented producer. So we wanted to talk about virality music from like the two specters. So it was, you know, talking as an artist, is like the headliner and talking as the producer is always in the shadow. How, you know, how do you create viral music and how does music spread? So I think, yeah, I think this was pretty, pretty fun for for both of them. They were both on board to to have a conversation. They actually knew each other, so it was also easier that way.
5: In the case of Christine Quinn, she was at a very specific time in her life, which was at the very late stage of her pregnancy. And the story is uh, the real thing. It's her, photographed by Los Angeles-based Brazilian photographer, Paulo Such, and it's just her being herself walking around Beverly Hills and West Hollywood, I think, uh, sporting some incredible looks with her huge belly and just like looking uh, fierce and bold. And we also have a feature with uh, Mark Jacobs and Mark Bryan. Mark Bryan is this guy who has become like the poster boy of hybrid look, which is. Uh, traditional masculine waist up and traditional feminine waist down so for example uh, a men's placer with a skirt and high heels and Mark Jacobs interviewed him for the issue.
2: And you know another thing of course I like it but I know you guys change all the time which is brilliant actually because you keep us surprised but I love that the magazine is on spiral as well I mean we don't see that very often i actually find it quite useful actually as a reader you know reading a magazine is there any connection with virality to be spiral or what do you think uh
5: not consciously i don't even remember where the um it's just uh being plastic and being different colors for some reason it was like a good fit but then one of the amazing essays in the issue written by Emily Siegel and Lucas Mascatello, uh, it's titled viral spiral. They didn't know about the format. It was like a coincidence. And it seems that's maybe not consciously, but there is a connection between virality and, and the shape of a spiral. Um, It's difficult to explain, but apparently there seems to be a connection between the the shape of a spiral and the way that, um, viral happens.
2: Yeah, for some reason I can see the connection. It's always hard to explain, it might be too philosophical, but I can definitely see the connection.
6: I was just going to add a little, little thing. I think also Adrian who, he also mentioned this idea of imitating the effect of, you know, scrolling down through your phone. So I think this spiral kind of uh, format kind of gives you that impression that you're kind of scrolling down. So I think that was also one of the initial ideas that kind of yeah. we decided us to go for that
5: format. Yeah, that's a, that's that's true. The the concept for the, the the design of this issue is that you're it recreates the experience of a screen. So the content scroll from you actually read it horizontally like a screen format, and the, every content space uh, flows over to the next page as if you were scrolling down on a screen. So it's kind of like that recreating the screen experience on paper that we uh, had in mind with we were
2: deciding that's it is it's that easiness and that's why i found it because you know reading a magazine it, it does feel very it's very flowy you know like mm. turn the page I, I, I felt that as well actually uh
0: yeah
5: it's like a weird mix between print and screen
2: that was davi
0: Skissa and andrea lazarov from buffalo zine Well, that's it for this week's show. My to our editor, Nora Hall. And if you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at, fp at monaco.com. And remember, we're back next Saturday at the same time. And of course, you can always listen to it again at Monaco.com or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and SoundCloud. And before we go, as usual, a little song for you, Kelis with Sugar Honey Iced Tea. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time. It's goodbye from me.
3: I woke up this morning